And now, sit back, radio listeners, because you're about to unfiltrate the unfiltered thoughts of society's two most non-scrupulous weirdos. It's Mike and Scooters. House of Shame. So just put on your head buds and hear what happens when Mike and Scooter decide to stop holding their tongues and start to get real. Tonight, the two nitwits from New York talk to their old buddy Alex Kachu. <laughs> Bless you. No, seriously, I think that's how you pronounce it. Admittedly, the content discussed is usually a little more challenging. But seriously, this week you will hear them discuss Uncle Buck. And how that 1989 comedy somehow relates to Ingmar Bergman. All the while pretending to talk about a serious issue, helicopter parenting. But don't worry, these three maroons will use a movie where a guy makes pancakes with a shovel to still talk about totally inappropriate things. Perhaps most of all, Mike's weird pterodactyl story. You won't be letting these guys babysit anytime soon. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together because... Mike and Scooter. Let's just get into it. We for a long time have talked about doing a show with with Alex in fact from the beginning we were talking about doing a show with Alex absolutely and we well, for whatever reason we we somehow ended up on we should watch Uncle Buck and then we thought oh but it has to be about a topic that it has to do with nowadays so we thought oh we'll do it on helicopter parenting which we just wanted to talk about Uncle Buck and maybe drink a few beers and watch Uncle Buck, which yeah. is what we did. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we I really feel that Uncle Buck uh, falls in line with uh, Mike and Scooter's House of Shame. <laughs> we're talking it Night is. Porter last time, and now yeah. we're on to Uncle Buck. You know? well, a part of it is like, for some people. It, it, yeah. just for, for, for listeners, we just actually sat down, the three of us, and watched it all the way through together. We haven't done that before with any of the movies. We always talk about films. We've all watched them separately. We come in together. So to have uh, done it this way, I thought was uh, it was an interesting idea. This is all uh, Mike's obsession, by the way. I have you know I've seen Uncle Buck maybe I saw it in the theater, and then wow. I've seen it on video since. Uh, in fact, when I saw it in the theater, I saw it with Matt Howe, my buddy Matt, and uh, I don't know what the hell we were thinking. It was one of those uh, like oh let's go see this. It looks really stupid, and we'll uh, have a fun night. And we were kind of surprised by it. 89, uh, you're, 89, yeah. you're 40-some, late 40s in 89? I'm older than Uncle Buck is in the movie. That's, <laughs> that's disturbing to us. Uncle Buck's supposed to be 40 in the movie. Yeah. He doesn't look my age, like 47. Yeah, he doesn't look my age, certainly. But Well, I think this started, um, maybe you had a party and, and we were both here. Alex mm-hmm. and I were both at, at Scooter's house where we are recording oh, this. Right. Yeah. And I noticed, for whatever reason, I noticed the dual Blu-ray of Fletch and Uncle Buck on the shelf. And I sort of made an assumption that I said, said uh, to Scooter, oh, I guess you're a Fletch fan, but believe it or not, I actually like the other film on this disc. And Scooter said, no, I, I, I've I, seen Uncle Buck. I love Uncle yeah. Buck, you know. First of all, I just want to thank you for outing me as a cheap bastard for uh, buying yeah. the double disc as opposed <laughs> to buying each movie separately. But, I have yeah, the single but, blue. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you have the single, don't you, you fucker? Um, but yeah, but it, it, it's totally true. I, I, in fact, I like, I like Fletch. I don't think it's wonderful but I like it enough and then I saw Uncle Buck kind of pushed together with it onto this this set and I thought well you know what this is irresistible for five ninety nine. for yeah. God's sakes how can I pass that <laughs> yeah. up you know? so how did you Alex encounter Uncle Buck first did you see it theatrically not at all I think I saw it I rented it at some point just yeah. thought it would be a, a funny one with yeah, candy yeah. in it or yeah you know do you remember do you remember what you first thought of it stuff like that 
It's a classic. You know, uh, you know, the, the more time goes on, all of 80s films are sort of classics to me. And, and John Hughes is... His whole CV is just filled with, personally, uh, what I think of as movies that will stand the test of time. Yeah. Despite yeah. maybe being sort of harassed now for being sexist now that we're in well, our time that we're in now but only uh, only one thing that they get harassed for they get harassed for the sentimentality they get harassed for childish humor I th- honestly i think give it another 20 years and people will look back and go oh man those john hughes movies were really of the time and they were really special i think that it is both of the time uh-huh. but a parody of the time and a satire right. um there's a lot of that that to me is funny because they're magnifying it Right. Um, the fashion of the high school students is very funny to us, um, but not because it's like comically done like sketch comedy, but because it's 10% plus reality. You mm-hmm. know, it's like it's a little further. There's okay. a costume designer picking the, something that everybody wore and the number of berets in that film is deliberate. Oh, yeah. Beret pre a guffin. It's a The lot. bad guy wearing a de- beret. You can't tell me they didn't think, oh, this is great for this worm to wear a beret. To your point, what's fascinating, we, I mean, we just finished watching this and now we're recording this, but um, what is fascinating about seeing this tonight, after what you just said, in terms of the production design and all the other stuff, in terms of costuming, uh, cereal boxes, and all the other stuff in the place, is that the screenplay itself doesn't have a single topical joke in it. Yep. Like the script itself could have taken place 10 years earlier or even 20 years earlier or even 10 years later. The jokes have no specificity towards a time or a place. Like they're, they're funny, um, but they're, they're, they're slapstick and they're character-oriented. No, no one really makes a joke about like, oh, and that thing happened, where you would say, someone says a line, and you go, oh, well, that's totally entrenched in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, whatever else. Uh, but the production design and the costume design is what anchors it into an era. Think about Uncle Buck's room. You know, the the Cubs poster, the Lonnie Mac show posters. Mm-hmm. I think that that's not just, oh, this is the character, but there's a little oomph there that's funny to me. But I, I look at that and I go, like, I don't even know, you know, is that in the script? Like, this because the script is so, uh, what's the word, agnostic towards the era that it's in, I feel like that's part of, like, we'll work with the production designer. It's, it, what year is this? Okay, let's now look around. Like, I feel like it's a script that he wrote. And uh, he was like, whenever I make the script, I'll figure out all that stuff, depending on whether it's 1989, 1999, 2009, mm-hmm. had he lived, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, that's what's actually interesting about it to me, is that it is so uh, divorced in terms of the screenplay, in terms of the jokes from a specific era. But when uh, it comes to the soundtrack. Well, uh, yeah, that you're right. That, that goes the costumes you're right. and You, you did point out and, such a great point because it, in terms of the jokes, in terms of the storyline, it's sort of universal and yeah. you can play in time any, time, any time yeah. period. Musically, absolutely. I wanted to ask Mike about what you thought of the soundtrack because it certainly <laughs> sort of nails the period, yeah. but yeah. also is nostalgic. Um, you've uh, It's a very... You know, and there's another film that we talked about as we were watching Uncle Buck... Um, that shares a similar thing to this, and that's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, there's a great sequence in Planes, Trains where Steve Martin's asleep and John Candy is playing the keyboard on the dashboard. He's air keyboarding on the dashboard of his car as a sort of a brassy, mid-tempo rock and roll instrumental uh, plays over the radio. And this movie, and I, my read on it is like an East Coast person, is this is like 
this alternate history of music that Midwestern people must have. And if you look at the song credits and stuff like that, it is, it's a, they all seem like odd or interesting choices to me, but I think that for John Hughes or if it's, you know, um, or the characters that John Candy is playing, those are the natural things. And there is this kind of finger snapping, brassy rock and roll that this movie walks to. And, um, you know, John Candy's doing the dishes and that's the music that, right. that we would hear. And it, it fits and it is very funny to me, but it would never be for a guy from California or for a, a guy from New York. Uh, it's this thing that was happening in the middle of the country somehow, you know? Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's probably somewhat regional. Yeah. And the fact this is sort of the middle of the country. Or, yeah. You know. Regional filmmaking was dead at this point, too. Yeah, but I... but I, Which, Sadly. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're right. You know, yeah, this is all of, national releases. I mean, this, this, this feels like in the same way that you look at something like Smokey and the Bandit and you think this was a movie made to just go to drive-ins in the South or yep. something, but it exploded. You know, some of the John News movies, I guess this would be one of them, falls into that... Uh, Oh, uh, it feels like it's specific to an area, but uh, we'll just blow it out and everyone will just kind of relate to, hopefully relate to, uh, the universality of the characters of the situations. I mean, I think his whole CV of movies is sort of grounded in soundtracks that sell, mm-hmm. too. Yep. I mean, in yes. Uncle Buck, we have the... Uh, the Tone Loke, right? Tone Loke, yeah, Young yeah. MC with, yeah, you know, like yeah. Harry Flesh Cuomo. For Lulu, yeah, Flesh yeah for and Lulu. Joe Turner. Yeah, yeah, Flesh for Lulu, it's bizarre. But yeah. you think of the other movies, too, mm-hmm. uh, like Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. I mean, Breakfast Club is a huge soundtrack in the 80s. So, uh, yeah. Could we, should we look at John Hughes as a precursor to someone like Quentin Tarantino then? He's but a, it's funny. Uh, blowing up the soundtrack no, but you're, from his record collection? No, no, I'm not insulting no, either no, one, but I'm just no, saying it, it feels like... The thing is, we, we like to make anything and everything sexy. You know, it's like, oh, Tarantino picked these songs or Wes Anderson picked these songs for well so did John Hughes I yeah. mean so did so did a yeah. bunch of other people yeah. you know yeah. I mean we were talking yeah. even earlier too I mean does this go back to American graffiti even where it's like I someone it, who has this knowledge of an era and says I'm making a movie and part of the character of the movie itself is the soundtrack based on mu- music that I liked from that era I, in collection. I think that's an an excellent and spot on point. I think that that was a very bizarre thing to do at the time when they did American Graffiti. I think it had yeah. an enormous effect. Yeah, and you could people talk about Kenneth Anger and stuff like that, but George Lucas did it at a you know it was a national hit. Right, exactly. That's really more of a commercial you know, film, but yeah, that's yeah. a that's a great that's a great connecting point too with Kenneth Anger. I agree. Yeah, and I guess uh, you know, and of course. Uh, the Lucasfilm comes from the heterosexual angle, of sure. course, as opposed yeah. to the homosexual I think angle that that's that. a, right? yeah. So, But it is interesting. Yeah. That's how it got absorbed yeah. into, and I mean, look where we are now. There's camp and then there's sentimentality is yeah. two ways to look at that. Yeah. I don't even know where we are now. <laughs> this, this is Scooter's apartment. Cinema, oh. <laughs> cinema doesn't know where we are now. That's why we get remakes of Suspiria, you know. Here's uh, some other observations on UB. Oh, as we'll call it. <laughs> you be nice. John Candy's amazing. I mean, oh, he's yes. spot on. Yeah. Truly spectacular, I agree. Um, Such the- a naturalistic performance. Like, you know, when you look at the movie, it's like, I, I was shocked watching it again, how, like, he's not playing it large. He's not playing it funny. He's reading the lines, and he's just, it, it, there's a kind of bizarre naturalism to him that it almost plays against the filmmaking itself, which is very stylized. So somehow he Man. comes across as being like this average Joe. Like the movie itself, the, the style of the movie makes him Uncle Buck. 
But Uncle Buck himself is like this quiet, unassuming, well, I mean, you know, it gets crazy as things goes on. But you think like, I, I, know, I know that guy yeah. or I, I, yeah. I might, I'm 52, so I'm 12 years old. Maybe, maybe I am that guy now or I will yeah. be that guy. So yeah. there's just so few like him, but the naturalness of his comedy is unbelievable. Yeah. We were pointing out the joke where he's saying that people hate his hat. Mm-hmm. That's something that like, you know, I would think of and it would be an annoying, unfunny joke. And we all three laughed out loud mm-hmm. when he said it. Yes. It's, it's uh, what's great about comedy to me overall is that you kind of, it gets down to this um, elemental level that you can't break down. It's just funny. John Candy is naturally hilarious. Yeah, I think he, he comes from, yeah. we were talking earlier about SCTV, I think God. all of the SCTV roster Absolutely. has this sort of natural knack. Yeah, totally. Um, and they're all truly gifted. And yeah. I, I think the the hat gag in Uncle Buck is repeated several times. Yeah, you, yeah. You sort yeah. of laugh each time. And uh, he's, John is surrounded by un, a really great cast, obviously. Uh, yeah. The, the the children and the actors and the, Absolutely. the kid actors in the movie are amazing and inclu- yeah. including Macaulay Culkin who clearly John Hughes saw and was like I'm gonna make this kid a star yeah. and he, he gets yeah. a bad rap but he's a hundred percent that's that's he's great are you talking about Hughes or Macaulay 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 Culkin yeah yeah um, we've had a few drinks sorry. It's well shot, well edited. We were talking about it. As yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great look. Which yeah. surprises me. Three editors listed at the end because in in the overall scheme of things, the editing is very simple: cut, reaction, this and that. But uh, I, to the credit of the movie, you know, it it, it does it right. You know, yeah. I I remember watching it at a certain point, thinking to myself, "This is how this is how they shoot TV." It's like you know, someone's talking, so it's a close up, a close up, a close up, and then a slightly wide, and then maybe a close up of a detail to punch a point home. But uh, the editing is actually uh, far superior to that simple description that I'm giving because it does always seem like the camera is giving what it's needed. It's just always in the right place. Like the shots there, like her... We have a lot of times, like the, we were commenting with the uh, the scene where Uncle Buck first comes over and the, uh, the mother is there and they're going back and forth with each other. And I was yeah. kind of watching... It's really funny because a lot of that scene is her reaction. You're like, you're there Silent. on John Candy yeah. and he's the star. He's the funny guy. We're spending a lot of time on her reaction shots that are really very good. Uh, so I was impressed by that. Like they weren't just like, let's stick with him. I'm sure his stuff was very funny, but some of the stuff is funnier by seeing her reaction to him being funny. And they they pull it again with the phone conversation. They're not even in the same room at that time. Oh my god, the phone conversation. We don't even hear when he's talking about when he's talking to. uh, uh, How many times do you feed the dog a day? How many times would you feed the dog a day? I don't know, four to five times. One time, yeah. feed the dog once a day. My favorite phone conversation in that movie is when he's talking to Amy Madigan on the phone. We never hear a peep. We don't hear any of her conversation. And it just stays on him. That's it a, is so funny. That's like, like a Bugs Bunny. Yeah. It's gay. And, and again, going back to John Hughes, there's some wonderful setups. Yeah. When, when Macaulay Culkin is uh, at school pulling out the lunch that Uncle Buck made him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. shot from above where yeah. all the kids just scatter is just brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. The, some of the, the shots from the side of the car as Uncle Buck drives away with the smoke 
pouring out of this car. Beautiful. And I, I mean, I got while we're all sitting here talking amongst ourselves about this, I'm going to be honest, I'm no fan of John Hughes. I sure. do not like The Breakfast Club, and I've only seen a handful of his movies. I think this one's great. Uh, the Breakfast Club just pissed me off. Uh, and most of the other ones I just had no desire to see, so I never did. And I think, you know, be, my age being what it is, something called, you know, uh, uh, you know 16 Candles... Uh, is sounds way out of my emotional range at this point. I don't think I'd be interested in that. And Pretty in Pink, of course, unless that's a porn title. I'm not sure I would. You love pink, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, pink, purple, all the great primary colors of sex. <laughs> Will anybody listening to uh, Mike and Scooter's House of Shame wonder why we are discussing Uncle Buck? I would like to think yeah. that they won't. Weren't you just discussing Nazis in the last couple of We were, episodes? but I guess... But all right, maybe this <laughs> maybe this is a great thing to bring up, Alex, yeah. okay. because I, yeah. the, all right, the first night that I met Scooter yes. uh, was at Chiller Theater. I was some kid who didn't have any friends that would go to Chiller alone. Punk. Scooter sensed this and um, invited me to Outback Steakhouse with the guys, yeah, a bunch of right. other yes, yes, yes. friends of his. Yeah, and, um, yeah. This, uh, the, what I got from Scooter immediately was, uh, something that I'm always really, uh, drawn to. It was that it wasn't as if Scooter just like genre film. There was something interesting about all film and it was so profound and uh, deep of an interest that that's, that's kind of where I gravitate to. I, we're talking about Star Wars in one breath and Peckinpah in the yeah. next and Bertolucci in the sure. next and sure. Franco mm-hmm. and John Hughes. And we don't even have the time to stop and slow down and be like, well, what fits in my oeuvre of what is cool? Or, <laughs> no, uh-huh. we're just fierce. And Alex, when I met you, I felt the same way, obviously. Yeah. I always describe Scooter as someone who can speak of the brilliance of Kubrick and Franco at as at the same level. You are right and on. Not, and not, I'm not even you know joking about mm-hmm. it. Like he he seriously could. And to to your to your point, what's interesting to me is that, and I feel this all the time, and and that's why we're doing this is uh, is that you know you can talk about movies, and people always talk about movies, but what people don't talk about when they talk about movies is. Uh, the relationship to a movie to themselves. Why did you like it? Why didn't you like it? Why do you like that in relation to another movie? And I feel like uh, a lot of criticism is uh, is far too specific about here's uh, here's this movie and I'm going to talk about that. But you you, you can't. I mean, if you're uh, someone who likes books or someone who likes music, you're always talking about it in relation to something else. And you're always talking about a relation to yourself, what you love or respond to on it. And I, I think a lot of the fan community, and I'm not picking on uh, that in particular here, but a lot. Of, I think that gets lost. I mean, when we yeah. talk about movies, uh, oh my God, this is going to sound like a Lifetime movie. You know, when we talk about movies, really, we're talking about ourselves. <laughs> You know, but there's a there's a truth to that, and that's why we're sitting here talking about we are yeah, talking about. This. But no, seriously, how yeah. often does that shit get lost? Yeah. When you, you you've been at parties, oh, where yeah. you're talking to someone, and it's like uh, if you don't agree on a movie, or if something comes up, and you discover that you guys they like westerns and you like horror, well, suddenly everyone drifts away, and you're like instead of trying to find points of similarity or reference uh, things that why you like this and why that, and you might find that you have a lot more in common than you think. I think a lot of times people go, oh, you don't like that? I like this. Gotta go. Bye. I'm gonna, pff, whatever. Bringing it around to your point here is, that I think, whether you like John Hughes or not, 
at the time of the 80s, he was doing movies about teens mm-hmm. in a way that probably teens have never been focused on sure. in that particular light. Mm-hmm. Well, in those things you're talking about, like genre stuff, it's like, yeah, the teens are always the outsiders who are doing this. I, th- what's interesting about the youth stuff, whether I like it or not, is that it's like, no, these the teens are real people and there's a psychology. And they're the leads. And they're the leads, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a, an acknowledgement that, you know, teens are people too. Uh, the genre stuff has always been, you know, before that you get like the, like the, the you know, like I said, Village of the Giants or... You know, oh, I was right. a teenage werewolf or stuff like that, where it's a little more fanciful. Uh, John Hughes was, to some extent, the Ingmar Bergman of teenagers <laughs> through the eighties. I, I knew, I mean, right? I mean, on a certain level, fuck it. Where, absolutely. He made Go them the same point, and they yeah. weren't necessarily completely jokes. And I was going to talk about the music again in terms oh. of oh yeah, eighties being such a prevalent time of um, movie soundtracks and and the selling of such. You know, we're talking like uh, Footloose and um, um, Flashdance and Top Gun. And I mean, I don't know any other period in movie history where we were selling as where the movie yeah. soundtracks were that important, in, except mm. in the 80s. It's are, a context. Are you, are you concerned that Bergman didn't have a top 40? Hit yeah, I am movies? concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I guess well, I, I there's know. many Seven of his. Seal should have had one. Yeah. But no, but it's, <laughs> what's, what I do, well, let's not deviate too much into Bergman, but so many of the great ones don't really have a score which i think is pretty interesting you're talking about bergman uh, bergman yeah. oh wow okay but well, um, i mean no, how much how much thing... score is there in uncle buck compared to the amount of other music like well it's, it's not this... breakfast club that's for sure no it's but, not but yeah. i mean in ter- I'm, I'm, when we're talking uh scoring by a composer as opposed wow. to music in the movie that are songs yeah like when we watched uncle buck i don't think there was more than 15 minutes of actual what we would call cinema scoring Probably, you know yeah. and i mean it yeah. might have been but not that's about it but the rest of it was songs um the one thing about the 80s that I think of, though, it's it, it's strange how things line up this way, but um, the way that the history of record labels up to that point and the history of film studios up to that point and the history of American culture up to that point all sort of converge in the 80s for the ultimate commercial potential for a soundtrack album. Um, Pre-CD, um, I don't know that it's going to be bigger than that you know is consistently bigger than that i think it's a, a a very true point that you that you raise it's that's it you know what i mean we may have a very big soundtrack album per year but the fact that it's like one after the other after the other is i i, I own a record store there that's what you see the most of that's what they made the most of mm-hmm. you know used lp wise so, you know it's there's there's millions of those things out there yeah are directors whores for doing that um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it kind of works. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if I would. Um, point. Let's add, let's add Lost Boys, Purple Rain. Sure. I mean, it just I mean keeps, it's, it's endless. Going it's endless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's weird because Lost Boys is a movie that, to me, all of that cheesy kind of goofy. You can laugh at. Thou shalt not kill. It's great for that movie. What the fuck else do you want in that work. place? I, you know? I, I yeah, agree. it does yeah. work. And there's also something about, I don't know, smart directors are able to maybe point out the sort of commercial leanings of youth and stuff like that. Sure. It's not absent from a film like Uncle Buck or, mm-hmm. or The Lost Boys, for sure. These are American right. kids, right. you know. Yeah. And in fact, playing devil's advocate, is that any different or worse or better 
than uh, what Kubrick did. His most famous movies are needle drop scores. You know, you look at 2001, look at Barry Lyndon. Nothing's how much original? How much original music is in either of these movies? Pretty this, much none. This, uh, these are all like his record collection. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly higher end record collection, but mm-hmm. it is still nonetheless pre-existing music. It, it harkens back to an earlier point, quite exactly, is that there's, fuck a rule book. Are we, are we seriously? Who cares? Any possible thing could work if you make it work if that's mm-hmm. the thing that's right you know so whether or not you end up keeping the cues that you were doing for editing to and you're using great classical scores or if you're using instrumental tone loke top 40 hit of the week sure anything whatever mm-hmm. you know it, it, there's no the person that tells you there's rules is um the person that's afraid so the point is everyone should watch uncle buck for the classic it is i wonder i wonder i would love it if at least a few people watched uncle buck i've had multiple people tell me from the other podcast, oh, I'm going to watch Night Porter. Uh, oh my God, I had never heard of all of those movies that you yeah. guys were talking about. I'm so excited to look them up. And it would be nice if um, some people watch Uncle Buck. Because, you know what? We haven't gotten to what I think was all of our... Um, the elephant in the room? It's so wrong. Yeah. It's so that awesomely really, crass. We haven't even gotten to the, the oh, sexual right. politics of it's, this movie just, yet, which are Please, insane. Alex, take the no, lead. I mean, yeah. I mean, there were so many movies that the Americans translated from French cinema, whether it be uh, the Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Oh, right, uh, yes. I don't know what mm, the original yes. French title is there. But Uncle Buck does feel like it's sort of like originally a French film that John Hughes adapted. Uncle Buck could be a Melville film. <laughs> that was adapted by uh, John Hughes at some point. I agree. It, it potentially, yeah. It does have a European blue thing going on. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it's funny. We're here. We're making jokes about being European when, in fact, the uh, uh, the puritanical sexuality is so completely uh, American uh, Christianity uh, for the most sure, part. Sure, sure. Uh, but, but yeah, the but these, rape these joke happen. at the center that is the centerpiece of the film. Is pretty extreme. And despite yeah. the jokes going on in the movie, and they are rather crass, as oh, yeah, you are. said here, it's a PG movie. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. I mean, PG-13, we checked that. It's a PG. Maybe that even circles into our fake reason for doing this, the helicopter parenting thing. I mean, I think that... Um, I mean, I was... So I'm born 81, so I'm basically the perfect age for, for Uncle Buck. Um, in 88 or whatever, right? Um, I, well, it seems a little, I mean, this seems a little more advanced than you would have been. That's what kids wanted to see. You know what I'm saying? That's this, that's to me. This is why your generation is so fucked (laughs) up. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's all John Hughes' fault. It is. It is. But, um, no, but when you are seven. I blame science. You know a lot more than anybody older wants to believe mm-hmm. and the other half of that is that you want to know why adults are laughing you want to know why the older kids are laughing what uh-huh. made them laugh about that and you sort of figure stuff out you know this was this is not a movie that would ever be made today thematically it's too um yeah uh, it's a little too ultra yeah that's my french for today you know what movies there are two movies i thought of while watching this and i just want to check in with you guys and see if i'm totally insane or not um, I kept thinking of Modern Romance, ah. and I kept thinking of Friday the Thirteenth. Interesting. Uh, I love both, that. but don't understand the. I, I yeah, I know. I just, I mean, basically, John Candy is a friendly version of a potential killer. He's got an huh. axe. Huh. He's got a drill. You know, he, he has hmm. these things. Uh, both of which are, are used as 
weapons, but they're also highly... The drill, especially, is very much sexualized (laughs) in this. He uses it to break into a door as two people are about to possibly have... uh, Date rape. Coitus. Coitus. (laughs) Coitus. I can never say the word thank you. About to fuck. Um, And... um, and I like—I mean, it's a shocking image. It, it, the drill coming through the door actually made me think of uh, Body Double. With yeah, the, I was the about drill to say coming through yeah, the ceiling, yeah, and yeah. you know, the only missing yeah. was like uh, no red paint on the thing. That, but with 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 uh, modern romance, the reason I kept thinking of it was because uh, the Albert Brooks character in that is such a psychopath yeah. in terms of his uh, oh, I love you, but and and the whole movie. I mean, I I love modern romance I think it's one of the greatest Absolutely. comedies of that era Absolutely. it's also a horror movie and it's terrifying mm-hmm. and his character is berserk and yep. reminds me a lot of Uncle Buck actually yeah. in terms of his wrong headed intentions for a good cause mm. I think the movie uses a lot of on purpose horror sort of motifs yeah. tropes even yeah. how it how Buck is lit in certain scenes absolutely yes. silhouetted yeah. with a little outline and, and yeah. I, I think they they were using it as more of a joke I, I mean um I don't yeah. know if they were as right. smart in using the comedy as, say, Albert Brooks, but... When I say Friday the 13th, I, I, I guess I should say I'm thinking of an entire genre. The idea of uh, female sexuality of any kind of blossoming or expression against the uh, male patriarchy. Mm. Hi, it's 2018. This is, the kind of, this is how we talk now. Um, <laughs> but um, it, You're you know, very right. But, I mean, you but, know, yeah, and, and, Buck and is was, there to protect. I remember when I saw it initially when it came out, I had... And I'd forgotten because I haven't watched it in a while. But I, I remember even the first time I saw it, having that reaction to like, "Wow, this is there's a very strange streak of puritanism that's 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 going through this." The idea that I mean, it, it's I like how they go out of their way to say that she's 15, even though she feels like she's older than that movie. She feels like she's 17. She's mm-hmm. definitely on the cusp drinking of like beer, yeah. drinking and, and, and a woman, and, and it almost seems weird because as you say, right, she's drinking, she's doing this. He never comments on her drinking, does he? I don't remember that. No, it's only he, about him getting... He's walking through the party looking for her, right. holding a beer that clearly yeah. he got at the <laughs> yeah. party. Right at the party yeah. from someone else who was 15. So yeah. I mean, I'm saying suppose I almost... I'd have to almost watch it again to see if that line about her being 15 was actually said on screen with lip movements or something that they dubbed in afterwards. Because as we all noted watching it, there's a lot of like off-screen ADR work in here mm-hmm. where lines and are good. coming in yeah. that were not being said on camera camera and wondering if uh, these were things that were added in post to just kind of keep things moving along or add some kind of joke or detail. Uh, mostly jokes yeah for right. sure Seem like um, it, yeah. punch it up afterwards yeah two things i suppose in 2018 to bring that up again mm-hmm. we look at everything as if it's a template for what an artist might believe or what the way that the filmmakers want us to behave which i think is Ludicrous, obviously. Sure. Um, Modern Romance, the great Albert Brooks films, Albert Brooks films, we're not supposed to think he's a genius. We're not supposed to think no, that, that he's yeah. crazy, yeah. he's wrong, and that's our investment in those movies. Yeah. He's a and, misanthrope. Yeah, and I think that Buck is not an easy character in that same way. He's not able to make this relationship that he has work. Mm-hmm. He's certainly not the right guy to be watching these kids, but he's got to learn. Right. And he has his good qualities and he has his bad qualities. He is a desperate gambler. He drinks too much. He's irresponsible. We're not supposed to think that that's a way of life. We're mm-hmm. watching him as a character the same way that we might celebrate Albert Brooks or any great villain or great hero. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's not 
a, a, it's not a template for how to behave. But his right. moral code is ah, the, yeah, is exactly. correct because he's punched out the alcoholic clown that shows up for the birthday party, exactly. which is great. Yes, yes, correct. But I to, and you know what that I wrote a, a small phrase down, but it's, it ties directly in with that. The thing that this movie reeks of, in a good, bad, whatever you want to call it way, this is parental revenge on the kids. This is showing you that the adult is right yeah. and having this sort of fantasy scenario right. where yeah, you are helpful because the girl doesn't actually want to lose her virginity to the beret wearing loser um, or that the you know you you know don't show up drunk if you're going to entertain the kids and if you do you get socked yeah. in the clown nose, right. you know? the, um, the lines are drawn in the sand with the 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 teen teen girl obviously opposing uncle buck and mm-hmm. uncle buck being the parental figure since the parental figures are, are no longer around uh, yeah. or, or are absent for a time, mm-hmm. uh, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, there was also, I, I know we all laughed at the line and we all had a, a comment uh, as well, which was the class structure here, which was that wonderful line, he's cooking our garbage. Yeah. In the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Macaulay Culkin. Which, uh, I mean, there were, there were so many other little moments in there where it's like, we're upper class, he's lower class, but... Some reason that line really—that's it's almost a Romero worthy yeah, line. You're right. Cooking our garbage. Uh, They're actually very right. Yeah, yeah that, that I, really I, I has really, packs a, packs a lot to it. Doesn't it does. It, it yeah. packs some punch. Uh, it is funny, but uh, and it, it uh, what's kind of interesting about it is it doesn't beg you to dwell on it, which is great. Circling back just to John Candy himself, um, there's a couple of things that I that I thought of. Um, number one, one of the best character introductions in film history belongs to John Candy in Splash. Do you guys remember how we meet his character in Splash? I do not. A car driving up on a pier, smashing through cargo boxes wildly. The car screeches to a halt after causing much havoc. John Candy steps out, two fistfuls of magazines in his extended arms, and says, They did it! They did it! Penthouse published my letter! (laughs) Oh my god! I haven't seen that movie since I saw yeah. it when it first came out. That's a great it's line. That's fucking hilarious. That's fantastic. <laughs> you make me want to rewatch the movie. Should I There's, be rewatching yeah, it? Yeah, because honestly, Candy is amazing in it. He's also has this. He's, there's a moment where he's looking. He slides down, looking up a <laughs> woman's great. dress That's right. at a party, and and she looks down at him. And he goes, ah, and he goes, it's okay. I'm a doctor. <laughs> wow. But don't they flash back at some point and he's doing it as a kid and he's like dropping change. I forgot about that. Like on the boat or something. Oh, he's wow. like dropping change and like kind of looking up. I, I'm like, sure wow. you're right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's... Go ahead. No, I haven't seen it since the are theater. You, I'm sorry. Are you saying it's a better introduction than the bowling ball? on his head here in it's Uncle Buck that almost had all of us rolling on the, I mean, there was no space it, left on the floor we were all so busy laughing I was worried we'd all end up on the floor hitting each other well as an avid reader of Penthouse I will say that there is at least a contest between the two how about that I'll give you that you're either for him or you're against him oh <laughs> um, this is a uh, a little bit wistful but uh, I'll go for it anyway Remember like 15 years ago or so when... I don't remember anything from 15 years ago. Alex will. Oh, yeah. He, I might. Yeah, he doesn't drink remember, as much as I do. Remember when, but remember when like uh, Bill Murray was kind of having that period of his career where he's doing like a Jim Jarmusch movie and the Wes Anderson stuff is going on. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like, wow, he's so funny, but these movies are so brilliant too or whatever. He was getting a lot of acclaim. Sure. I, on a very regular basis, 
I get very sad that John Candy did not live longer because I think that the more yeah. interesting, quieter sure. things that he could have done later would have been phenomenal films. Do you think he might have actually at some point have done a Bergman film? <laughs> I'm sure. I think yeah, they talked they were talking in the nineties before he passed. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, maybe it's the eighth seal. <laughs> But he's actually dressed as a yeah. seal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that uh, would have been perfect. That's like, think, yeah. The serpent's beer. Yeah. <laughs> Virgin Spring yeah, Break. Oh my God. Yeah. Virgin Spring Break. Holy <laughs> shit. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. That so is, proud of myself oh, right now. Wow. Mom, I'm How okay. much I wow. love what you I just said. I hope you're said. listening. Wow. He might have. He might have definitely. You win, dude. Just thought of That's it. untoppable. Virgin Spring Break. Oh my God! Who would, who would, who could, who could direct that now? Now that Bergman's dead. I mean, we need. Do we have to get like James Gunn or someone? Oh my God! Who's in it? Then more importantly, who's in it? But we'll, that's for another. Uh, listeners, if you, if you want to give some suggestions, please feel free. We're we're curious uh, for uh, Ingmar Bergman's Virgin Spring Break, <laughs> starring oh, John Candy. John, John, John Candy and Wow. Helicopter parenting. What was I feel like all three of us most certainly had, you know, an experience nothing like what kids today are raised as. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's even let's give a little personal color to it. Can you describe what your situation? How much did your parents hover over you? How much were you allowed to watch what you wanted to watch? How many options did you have when you were young? Let's see. Well, my parents were divorced, so I don't know how that reflects on it at all. I was pretty much allowed to watch whatever I wanted. Um, what was the first boobs you saw in a movie? Oof, good question. Not Trading Places? Might have been. Might have been. Wow. It's high on my list. Yeah. On cable. So I had cable. So I. Well, that's because you're you younger. Know, I, I, yeah. I, you I, didn't I, have that option. I got to think back to. Jesus. You know, we had, we had cable when I was a, a young lad. Hmm. So. Some individuals in my household had their own box and would have the porn, you know, what Playboy channel on. These, who are these individuals? People renting in the room, you know, <laughs> renting rooms in, say, Grandma's house. And then, you know, oh, if they okay. weren't around, you go, hey, go watch my cable. I'd go straight to the Playboy channel. You're, you know, you're watching uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. Mm. And then cutting away to Young Nymphos or, you know, something by Lassie Braun. Oh, yeah. Um... No, I was of, I'm of a generation maybe that was, you know, this is less and less as generations go on, but it was still the kind of thing, and also we lived in a fairly innocent enough area, I could go out of the house all fucking day long, right. wander the fuck around, walk forever, do nothing, look at, you know, rocks on the ground, whatever the hell I was doing, and then when it started to get dark... All right, I better start heading home. Sometimes you're a little too far away. You get home after dark, you kind of get in trouble. But that was, I don't know, that was that was nice. I think that that sort of helped me get through any other problems that I might have had at the time, was being able to be on my own, you know? Hmm. I, you know, I, all I remember is being raped repeatedly as a child. <laughs> oh, that, you that, deserved it. And I... And I did, because I was a sexy bitch, and I, I, I flaunted it, and I blame myself. Yeah, what true. were you wearing? What were you wearing? Not That's much. That's what I want to know. Not um, much. 
No, there, there was the term as I was a child of uh, the, the latchkey kid. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. your both parents were working or your parents divorced and the parent that you were, you know, given custody to was working no matter what because they had to work. And you were coming home with your, your sole key to open up the door. Ooh. And you were there by yourself. Oh, yeah. What did you do at the time? Uh, I watched a lot of, uh, like, Robotech. Oh, okay. Okay. Battle of the Planets. Okay. How old at this point do we? Because I remember watching Battle of well, the Planets. you were a teenager at that point. No, it was, it was younger than that. 12, 10, yeah, stuff like that. Okay. Oh, Battle of the Planets and uh, Star Blazers. Was that on Star also? Blazers. Right, because I, I mean, th- those to me, I always think of being in tandem. Star yeah. Blazers for sure. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Gosh, yeah. The babysitters we should get back to in a second. But I remember I, one embarrassing thing I used to do. Is I hadn't even seen Risky Business, but I knew what it was. There was enough references to it. No, no. That if I got to be home alone when I was 11, I would turn on the stereo and slide on my socks in my underwear on the hardwood floor. And that was like... Because I thought that was cool. That's like, oh, that's like that's like what a cool older person would do is act right. like a fucking asshole like Tom Cruise. But like shit like that was funny to me. I, or I listened to... Um, you know, I listened to Footloose soundtrack and act shit out. I remember creating really weird, elaborate stories that I would dance out for these songs. I remember um, We Need a Hero. You remember the song, We Need a Hero? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From uh, Bonnie Tyler, right? Yeah, I think it is. I think you're right, yeah. We need a hero. hero. I'm looking out for a hero <laughs> on the edge of the night. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, this is really embarrassing. but My cinematography teacher shot that video. No shit. That's how I know it. Yeah, All right, hopefully seriously. hopefully that teacher's listening was, right now. Uh, Rob Draper. Oh, wow, okay. He went on to shoot one of the Halloween movies, too. Yeah, I was going to say, the name is even familiar. Yeah, yeah he, he, and uh, I think he did DOA. No, no, that was Yuri Naiman, sorry. That was uh, my other cinematography teacher. Wow, yeah. His name dropping all over. Sorry, Yuri Naiman <laughs> did the remake of DOA and also Liquid Sky. That's uh, So that that's a pretty good CV right there. Liquid <laughs> Sky is enough. Um, well, this is now this feels even dumber that it's not having the momentum of why I did it but no, that's I, right I love that you were sliding around your underwear in the living room in fact uh, let me turn off the recording at this point uh, so we can all masturbate <laughs> all to right. that image so picture this I would dance to if you will <laughs> I would dance to We Need a Hero mm-hmm. and I would act out a scenario I was really into like Rambo and all that kind of shit I was really into dinosaurs uh-huh. but I would act out a scenario where I was a pterodactyl I was a mother pterodactyl Rambosaurus who Rex. had eggs. Sure. And the army was coming to destroy and try to kill, ex- make the dinosaurs extinct. And these are the last eggs of the dinosaurs. And I was basically trying to protect the eggs as the army was blowing them up. And I was like down to like one last egg. And that was to me the song, the way I heard it. We need a hero. I needed like a Rambo guy to fucking come along and annihilate the bad army guys. And eventually, that's that's what happened. I think yeah. you've told us too much. You've really <laughs> told us too much here today. I uh, just want to thank everyone for listening. It's been a really great run of episodes. and <laughs> Now that we're done and moving on, I just hope everyone has a good life. And uh, really, thanks a lot. I, we all appreciate it. Hey, wait a second. What does Funky Cole Medina mean? If you have to ask, you'll never know. Well, no matter, because those notes from iTunes are already coming in. 
And let me tell you something, guys. It's not good. The only way to find out if they're canceled or not will be to tune in again next week when they're probably going to be back with their friend Alex Kachu. God bless you. For Mike and Scooters. House of Shame.